A couple of announcements before we start. Uh, Pastor wanted me to announce that uh, anybody who needs to be in the newcomer's class or desires to be in the newcomer's class, uh, it's right across the hall in classroom number one. And then we also have another class going on, the new member's class, which I I think probably is in the next room over, classroom number two. But uh, if you would like to join either of those, feel free to just get up and make your way over. A couple of other announcements, I think, that are are pertinent. Our community groups will begin next week. Next week. There is no community group tonight, but they will begin next week. Our midweek programs will will resume on January the 20th, which is about uh, another couple of weeks away. Um, Ladies' night out on January the 15th, for all those ladies who are interested in the ladies' night out, I'm with Larry. It sounds like it's going to be an exciting event, and uh, it's too bad it's for ladies only. Maybe I can put on my wig. No, 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 I won't do that. Uh, One other announcement that I'd like to make, and that is for anybody who is in the friends group age, the friends group being 55 or 60, somewhere around there, or better, there's going to be a game night for the friends on February the 6th. I uh, don't think we're going to have tacos and no fiestas, but we are going to have snacks and whatnot and board games. So anybody who is in that age group, the friends age group, on February the 6th from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. February the 6th is a Saturday. So uh, those announcements that uh, we got those out of the way so we can get right to what we're going to do. If you would, please, turn in your Bibles to... The book of First Chronicles, First Chronicles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First Chronicles. So it's right there toward the beginning of your Old Testament. The book of First Chronicles. I'm going to begin reading with chapter one in First Chronicles. Chapter 1 of 1 Chronicles says, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah. The sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The sons of Japheth, and most of you are probably saying at this point, hold on just a minute here. I've read through the Bible. And when I got to this particular part of the Bible, I just sort of glanced through here and went on. These genealogies don't really do a whole lot for me. How many of you have read through the Bible? How many of you, when you got to 1 Chronicles, sort of skipped over a few pages there? There's about 12 chapters of of genealogies in the book of 1 Chronicles. And most of us, when we read through, I've got to be honest with you, we just sort of glance through and say... What I do is I look and say, okay, okay, yeah, this, okay. And then I'll read the titles in between where it says the family of Abraham, says Esau's sons, Israel's sons, Judah. I hit the highlights and I sort of gloss over those. Well, what I would like to do with you this morning is uh, take a look at genealogies in the Bible, what we call biblical genealogies or theological genealogies. Um, I'm not going to make you read these verses today, nor am I going to read them to you. 
One of the reasons is because in those 12 chapters, there's a lot of names there, and some of them are very, very, very difficult to pronounce. You look at it, and you think, now, how in the world could somebody actually say that name? Well, they are pronounceable, but not by me. However, I would like to discuss with you the that passage and the uh, New Testament passages that the pastor mentioned last week, Matthew 1 and, and Luke 3. I've got to tell you, I've got a little bit antsy last week in our in our sermon time when the pastor said, turn in your Bibles to Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3. I thought, man, that's what I'm supposed to talk about next week. Surely he's not. No, he didn't. So thankfully he, he presented what he needed to use out of that and left some other stuff for me. So uh, he didn't do it. He didn't ruin the lesson for today. How many of you are into genealogies? Or into genealogy, I should say. A few. I love genealogy. I can trace my paternal line back to the late 1500s with one little glitch. I can trace my maternal line, my mother's family, back to the early 1600s pretty solidly because they're from uh, Nova Scotia and France, and, and they kept a lot better records. Uh, what kind of records did we keep in the U.S. in the 1500s? What kind of records did we keep in the 1600s? If you if you do research on genealogy and you go back to 1850, you'll notice that the censuses they've been taking census before 1850, but in 1850 they changed their census to include names of individuals. So if you were born after 1850. Your father, your mother, your brothers and sisters are all listed on the census form. If you were born prior to 1850, it's the father's name, and it says number in household of females over 25, 2, under 25, 3, under 16, 1, males under, and, and you had no way of knowing who was who. But I'm not trying to interest you in genealogy. I, I just want you to know that as we talk about genealogies, and we have the same problem with biblical theologies that we do with our general, our biblical genealogy, the same problem as we have with our general genealogies. They're not all the times complete. They're not all the times accurate. I have a, a my fourth great-grandmother who was the wife of John, Biggs, of course. Uh, she was born in, in 1762. I tried to find out who her parents are, and I can't. That's where my glitch is. She and, and her husband, John. I know very little about him. I think I've got it nailed down, but I'm not sure. But other genealogies other are the people who have trees that I research. And it always shows that her father was born in 1775. And I look at that and I say, she was born in 1762. Our dad was born in 1765. I don't think so. But it's just, it's just one of these things where somebody is trying to fill in a gap and they find something and it looks like it could be. So they put it down. The next thing you know, you've got 25 people who say, that's not right. Or 25 people who say, well, it could be, but he was actually born. Anyway, we're not here to talk about it. Let me, let me just give you my line for, for a minute. Ronald, 
the son of Robert, son of Carl, son of John W., son of John R., son of Peter, son of John, son of John, son of Thomas, son of John, son of Richard, son of Richard, and that takes me back to about 1585. I think it's interesting to find out who these were. I just discovered a, a, a fact, oh, probably within the past three weeks, four weeks maybe, my great-grandfather, my great-grandfather, now this is only four generations back, this is back into the 1900s, early 1900s, he could not read nor write. And I thought, wow. But then as you look at people from that era and before, there were a multitude of people who could not read or could not write. Education is a, is a, has been going on for a long time, but, but literacy is something that is a relatively recent thing. However, we're not here to discuss my theology, my, my genealogy. We're here to discuss biblical genealogy. Why is it so important to study about biblical genealogies? Or is it important? What do you think? You think it's important to study biblical genealogies? I see a couple of heads going this way, a couple like I'm not sure, some that are going this way. Why? Why is it important? Nobody wants to commit themselves. To know where Jesus came from. Somebody else had a hand here. Same thing. Okay. To know where Jesus came from. What was? Why is it so important to know where Jesus came from? We know where Jesus came from. He was the Son of God. But there's more to the story than just the fact that he was the Son of God. And if we, if we, and I'm not trying to encourage you or discourage you from studying genealogies, but if we were to study the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and we look in the, the first chapter of Matthew, and we look into Luke chapter 3, and we see these, these genealogies, um, the one in uh, Matthew starts with uh, David and goes down to Jesus. The one in, in Luke starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam. They can trace his line. Well, that's important for a number of reasons. And what I'd like to do today is just present to you some reasons why it is important for us to not necessarily study genealogies, but to be familiar with them. And if we're going to be familiar with them, that means when we're reading through the Bible... And our plan calls for us today to read chapters 1 through 6 of First Chronicles. <laughs> that instead of just flipping through those pages, actually look at every name in there. Now, the book of Chronicles, you'll find a lot of names that actually... They're branches of the tree, so to speak, okay? When we, when we do our genealogies and we get down to Noah... We know that Noah had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Well, Ham and Japheth aren't really that important to us as Shem is because Shem's line is the one that continues on down through to where we find Christ. So we can take these other branches and sort of set them aside, Ham and Japheth, set them aside a little bit and study about Shem and his descendants. Uh, 
it's very important for us to know for many reasons. The first, one of the first reasons, and, and it's not, these are not in any priority as far as importance, it's just that they're a, a list of reasons why it's, it's good to study genealogies. One of them is to help substantiate the Bible's historical accuracy. As many of you know, my wife and I travel a lot. We sometimes go to places where they tell us, oh, this event, this is a result of what happened on earth three million years ago. Or this goes all the way back seven billion years. And as I'm there listening to them, I want to raise my hand and say, who who can verify that time frame? But out of respect for my fellow travelers, and, and so that I don't put myself on the spot either, I don't ask that question. Well, what do you think? Was the earth around three million years ago? Was the earth around seven billion years ago? Personally, I don't think so. But as we study these genealogies, they help us to form some kind of an opinion or putting the facts together about just how old is the earth. If we were to look at Luke's genealogy in chapter 3, we'll not turn there right now, we will after a while, but if we were to look at that, we would find that the existence of man is about 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus. About 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus. From Jesus to today is about 2,000 years. So I'm just going to generalize easy to work in thousands unless it's money then it's easier to work in ones yeah you know what i mean um four thousand years from adam to jesus two thousand years from jesus to today and we've got about six thousand years i think the earth is about six thousand years old how do we get that from the genealogies well the bible tells us in the book of genesis that adam was created on the sixth day Adam was created on the sixth day. And for various reasons that we really don't have time to get into this morning, I believe those days were 24-hour periods. Darkness and light. Darkness and light. So if Adam was created on the sixth day of creation, and there's been 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus, and another 2,000 years from Jesus on that helps us to establish that the earth is probably about, do the math, 4,000, 2,000, thank you, 6,000 years old, approximately 6,000 years old. So if somebody says to you, well, 3 million years ago when, just don't want to hear that. So we think that the earth is probably about 6,000 years, years old. There's a periodical called the Biblical Archaeology Review, or the BAR. Anybody here subscribe to that? Don't tell me you don't. <laughs> it's a fascinating book. Actually, it's, a, it's sort of like a magazine. I get the e-version of it. Uh, some very interesting articles in there. There's an article that recently, and you don't have to be an archaeologist. I'm not an archaeologist. I'm a musician. Who can figure There's some very interesting articles in there published by archaeologists, some from the past and many that are, that are current. They're actually, a lot of them are are currently digging in Israel. Sometimes with shovels, sometimes with brushes. (laughs) Ooh, ooh, look what I found. Uh, but it's very interesting. 
There's a place in, in Israel called Tel Dan. Tel basically is a hill. Tel Dan, where they have recently discovered a, a Stella. You know what a Stella is? S-T-E-L-A. Stella. Oh, we got the lucky leftovers here. You get to find out lots of new things this morning. Or interesting things, not new. Everyone knows what a Stella is. A Stella is a commemorative stone. A commemorative stone. Usually has an inscription written on it about some important event or information that's critical to what happened here at this place. The most prominent Stellas that we have today are gravestones. So the next time you visit a cemetery, tell your friend, whoever you're with, I'm going to go look at these Stellas over here. They'll say, what? To be quite honest with you, I wasn't really exactly sure what a Stella was either until I saw this article in the Biblical Archaeological Review about this this archaeologist who was digging there at Tel Dan, and they found this Stella. On it, it's just a piece of a Stella. It's about, oh, 14, 15 inches wide, about 18 inches tall. But there's writing on it. And the writing on it mentions the house of David, and it says also king of Israel. Now, why is that important? Why should somebody get excited over finding a piece of stone that says the house of David and king of Israel? Well, for one reason is because this area that they're digging, they know approximately what time frame they're working with. And they're back into the ninth century. They know that, they know that because there's, there's remnants of a battle that took place in the eighth century. And they've sort of sifted through that and now they're down below that and they're into the ninth century. And they find this inscription that says, House of David, King of Israel. Well, what they think it was is a commemorative stone that was erected there when the Arameans defeated an Israel, Israeli nation, basically. And it, they didn't have armies then. They all were the army. Uh, but uh, it was a battle where, where the Aramaic people were, were victorious over the Israeli people. And they identified the fact that the Israelis were from, and it doesn't, doesn't date David, but it dates the fact that after David... We have the Israeli nation who are calling or using the, the names very familiar with House of David, King of Israel. They know that this was one of their kings. The battle was didn't go their way, but yet the stone was probably erected by an Aramaic general in honor of his king who was victorious in the battle. Well, we can take that. And by the way, this is the first, the first to their knowledge, non-biblical reference to David that's in existence. That is extremely important because most of the scientific world wants to debate why the Bible is, is not accurate, why you can't, why you can't rely on the Bible for your information. But now they can pull this, this Stella that they've found way underground from the ninth century BC 
ninth century, and they can say, aha, this mentions David, who is mentioned in, in historical data as a king of Israel, but now here, here's something that is non-biblical that puts David as the king of Israel, the house of David, king of Israel. And it all, it all, good reason to study genealogy, to at least look at them and be familiar with them. Because when you hear something like that, immediately something can click in your mind and you can say, hey, that sounds like it's a very reasonable piece of information. Or that sounds like it's something that I don't even need to bother myself to try to remember. And at myself, my age, you have to try to remember everything because you remember very little. That's a joke. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> no, the older we get, the harder it is to remember things. Genealogies help to substantiate the Bible's historical accuracy. They confirm the physical existence of, of people. Uh, an actual Adam, an actual Adam, way back at the beginning, had actual descendants. Using this, we can also conclude that actual sin has actual consequences. Is that important to us? Well, it should be. Sin has consequences. As we live our Christian lives, we should attempt to be sin-free. Um, I did an, I did a series of lessons with our, our Senior folks are here a while back, and I, I, it was on sin. One of the guys reminded me this morning. He says, are you still on sin today? And I said, no, I don't think so. But uh, let me just go one, one little minute here. As a born-again believer, we have victory over sin. We do not have to have sin in our lives. The reason we have sin in our lives is because we choose to. Now, I'll be the first to admit, it's very, very, very difficult to not sin. But we don't have to sin. The Holy Spirit is with us. He helps us to overcome sin. But that's an aside. We're not going there today. Another reason to study genealogy is to confirm prophecy. To confirm prophecy. The Messiah was prophesied to come from the line of David. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 1, it tells us there that he's going to be from the branch of David, from the root of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. The Messiah is going to come from the house of David, the root of Jesse. Um, So we see that, that he was descended from. Turn, if you would, please, to Matthew. Matthew, chapter 1. We see written here in Matthew chapter 1, it says, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, the word son here means a descendant of. It's not a literal son like father, son, but it's a descendant. It could be a grandfather. It could be generations down the road. But it calls Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
If you were to read from the King James Version, it doesn't say Jesus the Messiah. It says Jesus Christ. Well, Christ is not part of Jesus' name. Christ is a title. Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. So Jesus Christ is actually the same as saying Jesus the Messiah. And and we look at it here and we see that Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What Matthew is doing here is calling Jesus the son of David, indicating his royal origin. And he's also the son of Abraham, which indicates that he is a Jew. So in that one little verse, we find out a lot of stuff about Jesus that is very important. Jesus was from a royal line, qualified to be a king. Jesus was also from the Jewish line. That's that's a lot of information in one little verse. Then it goes on to, to list different ancestry of, of Jesus, starting with Abraham, who was the beginning of the nation of the Jews. So, it's important to study genealogies to confirm prophecy. Yet another reason to study genealogy is to demonstrate the detail-oriented nature of God and His interest in individuals. The detail-oriented nature of God and His interest in individuals. God did not see Israel vaguely as a nebulous group of people. He saw with specificity, with precision, with detail. When he looked at Israel, he saw what had gone on. He saw what was going to, to happen. There's nothing detached about the genealogies. They show a God who is involved. God's word mentions people by name. Real people. Real histories. Real futures. It would be possible if you had the time and the resources. And <laughs> most of you don't have enough time left. I know I don't. Most of us have don't have enough resources. I know I don't. To go back and follow my genealogical line all the way back. But if I were to do that, or you were to do that, where do you think it would lead us? Where? Adam. It would, it would all come to one point before Adam, however. That would be, thank you, Noah. Noah. What happened during the flood? In Noah's day, God destroyed all of mankind except Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Eight people. So, you could, if you had the time, the effort, <laughs> the resources to study genealogy so that you could go back as far as you could go, you would come to Noah. You're a descendant of Noah. You could also then, by reason of the fact that these were the only eight people on earth at that time, you can get yourself back to Adam as well. Interesting. The study of genealogies is very interesting. I'm not trying to encourage you to, to begin it or to ignore it or whatever, but you can find a lot of information. 
as I study genealogies, I, I'm, I'm amazed at the amount of information that I can find about my family. And my family is just one little bitty, little bitty portion of what all is there. God cares about each person and the details of his or her life. God cares about you. God cares about those who came before you. He cares about the details of their life. He compares about, he, he, excuse me. My tongue got tied up in the roof of my mouth there. Trying to go too fast. Only have 15 minutes. Ooh, this lesson could take three hours. But we won't. We won't. We'll let you go by 12. Um, What was I talking about? I forgot already. Okay, we'll go on. God cares about each person and the details of his or her life. Uh, Turn to Psalm 139 for just a minute, please. Psalm 139, 139th Psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Does that sort of scare you a little bit? (laughs) It should make us stop and take stock of of what we do, what we think, where we go. It it should make us evaluate our lives in light of that. Uh, Skip down to verse number 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God is... is the one thing I know that God is when I look at my life is that God is patient because I don't always do the things that I should be doing. I don't always think the things that I should be thinking. I'm not always involved in activities that I should necessarily be involved in. And and I would dare say we're probably all there. I'm not trying to judge you and, and make you according to me because if, if, if I put you beside my standards, you'd be up here someplace and I would probably be down here someplace. But, but we all force, fall short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that. God is active in our lives. We should be concerned about what we are doing because God is concerned about what we are doing. Um, still another reason to study genealogies. They show a God who, who is, uh, who is involved. God is involved in our lives. His word mentions people by name, real people, real histories, and real futures. God cares about each and every person and the details of his or her life. Another reason we study genealogies is we learn from the people listed. In a narrative portion of the Chronicles genealogy, the, the book that we started with, we find the prayer of Jabez. In the fourth chapter of First Chronicles, we find the J- prayer of Jabez. Now, when I mention the prayer of Jabez, everybody pretty much knows what that is, right? It's a book that was very popular about, uh, what, 10, 12 years ago? 
Everybody was reading the prayer of Jabez. Everyone. Why? Why? Well, because it pointed out some things that are that are pertinent to our lives, things that are pertinent to our God, ways that we can we can become I'm, I almost said become closer to God. We, we really can't become closer to God because I belong to God. God owns me. But sometimes I sort of shy away from God and I don't follow his directives the way I should. But uh, in, in the, the prayer of Jabez in First Chronicles chapter 4, from, from that prayer we learn God's character and the nature of prayer. Um, it says uh, at the end of that short prayer that Jabez made, it says, And God granted his requests. If I were to list some of your prayers or some of my prayers this morning, could I conclude that with, and God granted his request? You betcha. You betcha. Are there some prayers that God does not grant? You betcha. <laughs> Sometimes we sort of pray from a selfish nature. But God is, God is concerned about you. God is concerned about me. He's given us his word that we might read and heed or learn, if you will, on how to conduct our lives and and the things that we do. Um, God values the lives of everyone, even those who are not his chosen people or the Jewish nation, Gentiles, even though they're not part of his covenant people. Uh, I think of the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth... We have uh, Naomi, who, whose husband took she and her, their two sons. They lived in Bethlehem. He moved them down to the land of Moab because there were troubles in, in, in Judah where they lived. There were a lot of troubles, so he moved them down to the, to the land of Moab. While they were there, the two boys, the father died, the two boys took wives of the Moabite people, so they were Gentiles married to Jews, uh, and later the two sons died, and Naomi, the mother, decided she was going back to her land, so she told her two daughters-in-law, I'm, I'm, I'm going back, I'm going home, I'm going home. Well, one of the daughters-in-law said, I'm, I'm going with you. And she tried to discourage her, but wasn't successful. And this daughter-in-law happened to be Ruth, the name for which the book is, the word for, person for which the book is named, Ruth. So they went back to Bethlehem of Judah. And uh, make a long story short, Ruth married Boaz. Boaz was from the family line. Boaz, this is the story of the kinsman redeemer. The book of Ruth is about the kinsman redeemer, who is Boaz, who was from the, the line of Naomi's husband. And, and it has to do with if, if the husband dies, then the next brother in line will take his wife as their wife to carry on this, this line. Well, Boaz was the kinsman, kinsman redeemer, and, uh, Ruth, uh, Ruth then became the bride. Uh, we find we find that story right here in God's word for us, and and it's it's comforting to know that God cares for His people. 
How many of God's people does he care for? Well, I thought all of you would chime in with that answer. All of them. God cares about everyone. Everyone. We're all his people. Some of us have a special relationship with God that others don't enjoy. But God cares for all his people. If we look specifically at the nation of Israel, we see they're God's chosen people. And studying geologists is important to the nation of Israel to prove their identity as a Jew. As a Jewish citizen, you could participate in all aspects of Jewish life and culture. As a Jew, you could be a partaker of the blessing of Abraham or the blessing of Isaac or the blessing of Jacob. Uh, there were specific blessings that were given to them. Um, you can you can read about those in the book of Genesis, the, the blessings of Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. Yet another reason is to prove where they lived. Family history was very important. Tribes, the 12 tribes of Judah, the tribes had received a land of inheritance. As an individual, to inherit land in a particular tribal area required evidence that you were descended from that tribe. The kinsman redeemer in Ruth is a great example of this. Boaz knew family history. He knew that Ruth was from his family line. Her husband was from his family line. And it was his duty then to take her as his wife. But there was another person who was in line who was closer than Boaz. So Boaz went to that individual had 12 witnesses and said, this is your duty to. The guy said, I'll take her as my wife. But then Boaz pointed out a couple of things that that meant. And he said, oh, no, I, I don't. I, no, no, I decline. So then Boaz took Ruth as his wife. And Boaz, Boaz and Ruth are in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? A lot of you know that. Good. Boaz and Ruth are in the line of Jesus Christ. Uh, very important. All these things that we read about, even way back in the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, they all come together to form right down to where Jesus is born. And, oh, it's interesting. You could go for months, not hours, not minutes, but anyway. Uh, it was very, very important to know, to be able to prove where they lived. It was also Studying genealogies was also important to establish eligibility for Levitical priesthood. Priests could only be from the tribe of Levi, the descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. So as you study genealogy, find out that you are from that line, then you're eligible to be a priest. Now this is in the Israeli priesthood, not Catholic priesthood. Okay, Priests, royal priests. No proof, no priesthood. They're also important, and somebody mentioned this right at the very beginning, in tracing the line of the Messiah, or tracing Jesus' genealogy. The Old Testament was very clear that the Messiah would be the son of David, or a descendant of David. So the records of family history were very important. As we look at the book of Matthew, and you turned there a minute ago, we find that Matthew was basically written for the Jews, and it traces Jesus back to Abraham. Abraham being the 
beginning of the Jewish nation or the father of the Jews. Okay, It was from Abraham's line that Israel descended. So Matthew is basically interested in, in tracing things back to, back to Abraham. Where Luke was written for Gentiles. Now the pastor told us this stuff last week. I'm just rehashing what the pastor mentioned last week in his sermon. Luke was written for Gentiles. It traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. He could have stopped at Noah, but he wanted to make impact, so he went all the way back to Adam. Um, Lost my train of thought there. When you lose your train of thought, go to your notes. One of the things in studying genealogies that I find very interesting, and I'm not going to have you turn there, but I'm, I'm just going to sort of uh, rehearse for you a couple of genealogical portions of a genealogical line, and uh, with that, then we'll be almost finished. If, if we went back to Genesis 5, it starts with Adam, and then it says Adam the father of Seth. Now we know that Adam had other sons, but these are other branches. The one that we're interested in is the one that leads us right back to the very root. Adam, when he was 130 years old, had Seth. When he was 105, he had Enish. When he was 90, he fathered Kenan. When Kenan was 70, he fathered Mahalalel. When he was 65, he fathered Jared. Jared, at age 162, fathered Enoch. Enoch, when he was 65, fathered Methuselah. Methuselah, at 187, fathered Lamech. Lamech, at 182, fathered Noah. Noah, at 500 years old, fathered Shem. Now, if we add all those numbers up, did you add them in your head while I was going through? Okay, make it easy for you. Totals 1,556. 1,556 years from Adam to Noah, or to Shem, actually, because Noah was 500 years old when he fathered Shem. Now, I think it's interesting to note that the ages, some well into their 100s, Noah 500 years old before he fathered Shem. After the flood, things changed. After the flood, Genesis chapter 10, we find the line of Shem... In the Bible, Shem, when he was 100 years old, fathered Arphaxed. Arphaxed, at 35, was the father of Shelah, who at 30 was the father of Eber, who at 34 was the father of Peleg, who at 30 was the father of Reu, who at 32 was the father of Sereg, who at the age of 29 was the father of Nahor, who at the age of 70 fathered Terah, I got off there. Tira was 70 when he fathered Abraham. But that's a period of 390 years. Now, a list about the same length. One was 1,500 years. One was only 390 years or about 400 years. The importance of this is we can see that what devastating effects the flood had on the earth. And, and why, was, why was the flood necessary? Come on, everybody knows that. Just one word. Sin. Everybody get that? Sorry if I woke you up. Sin. The flood was necessary because of sin. But after the flood, the earth changed. The length of people's lives changed 
dramatically. So did the earth. I could go on and on and on, but my time is up. Let me just end with this thought. While genealogies at first glance may appear irrelevant, they hold an important place in Scripture. Genealogies bolster the historicity of Scripture. They confirm prophecy. They provide insight into the character of God and the lives of His people. The next time you read through the Bible... Be sure not to skip the first 12 chapters of First Chronicles. <laughs> There's a lot of information there. There's a lot of stuff that we can get from that, even though it's basically lists of name after name after name after name. And when you get a name that's about 16 letters long and has like three vowels in it and you try to pronounce it, just sort of look at it and say, yep, and go on to the next one <laughs> rather than skip over the whole chapter. The study of genealogies is very important to us. It sheds a lot of light on what has gone along before us. And we have to bear in mind that God cared about each and every one of those people that he mentions in the scriptures. And it's too bad that the scriptures are, are complete because if scripture were still being written today and I were to read them a hundred years from now, I would find some of your names written in there. Because God cares about you as well. God loves us. We need to love God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your word. We, we thank you for your love. Father, we just can't comprehend why you would love us. But we know that you do. And help us to love you in return. Help us to live a life that would be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.